the NFL is back. A complete preview as I go through all the divisions, predictions for Super Bowl, over-under numbers, a knockout pick to get your season started as the curtain raises tonight in Los Angeles where the Rams will face the Buffalo Bills. The Mets were able to get two must-wins yesterday to keep themselves afloat in the NL East. We'll go through everything that's happening in baseball. An epic match last night between Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner was the toast of the town. But is it enough for the young Alcaraz to win a Grand Slam final? Also, Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook, a honeymoon made in heaven. Needless to say, it is a jam-packed, fast-paced podcast on deck. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review, it will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People, greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The NFL season has arrived. Yes, let us all rejoice. The best sport, not only in North America, but on the planet for a lot of people, is here, but first, we have baseball. We also have some tennis, among other things to get to, so it's not just going to be football-centric. Glad you stopped by to listen to it all, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quick programming note, I posted earlier today an interview I had with former cornerback, all-pro, NFL, Chris Dishman. He of the Houston Oilers, predominantly, he did bounce around there, played in Kansas City, Minnesota, and Washington, but very good conversation I had with him, talking about coaching as he's now taking his talents to the XFL with Rod Woodson, who was his former college teammate. Not only that, but they were both track and field stars. We talk about the Oilers, especially during that run where they made those three straight postseasons and all bitter defeats in Denver, in Buffalo, and then at home against Kansas City. So definitely want to peep that if you can. I would greatly appreciate it. But with a lot that's taking place, we all know the NFL season, which I'm going to get to in a second, but baseball is surprisingly heating up a little bit because with the scenario in the NL East with the Mets, them winning two big games yesterday to put themselves just a half game ahead of the Atlanta Braves in the NL East. I'll touch on that. The U.S. Open, I know no more Serena, no more Coco Golf, but you do have a couple of angles that you could look at, whether it's the number one seed on the women's side, Iga Swiatek, who looks like she has a clear-cut path to another Grand Slam victory. And then on the men's side, even without Rafael Nadal, Daniel Medvedev, Nick Kyrgios out, the epic match last night between Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner, how much left in the tank for young Alcaraz as his path to his first ever Grand Slam final is right in front of him. So I'll get to that, as well as the college football schedule, which doesn't look like it's going to be anything to write home about this week, but we'll take a look as week two is on the horizon. And then lastly, Patrick Beverly, Russell Westbrook, is it now a match made in heaven? I'll discuss that later on. But of course, 
Everybody's been waiting for this day. All the fantasy drafts, I'm sure, have been set. Maybe some last-minute wagers are being placed. But today is a day that everybody has been looking forward to since the L.A. Rams won the Super Bowl back in February as the opening of the NFL season is tonight. So let's get right to it. I'm going to start with some storylines before I go to the divisions, give you my Super Bowl prediction, as well as the over-under numbers on top of a knockout pick for week one here in the NFL. Storylines. I hate to say it, but it's almost as if the last couple of years is the same regurgitated nonsense because when you look at the NFC, it is top-heavy with Green Bay, Tampa Bay, as well as Los Angeles. Yes, can you think Dallas can make some noise there in the NFC? Quite possibly. Also, Philadelphia, which seems to be trending north, even though the quarterback does scare me a little bit. Nobody in the NFC North. I don't know if Minnesota could be that team that could take their game to the next level. Who knows about the Lions, the Hard Knocks team, and the Bears. I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains there with Justin Fields and an offense that looks probably one of the worst in the sport. So with the NFC, you're going to look at a lot of Tom Brady. You're going to look at a lot of Aaron Rodgers, as well as even Matthew Stafford, who had the elbow issue throughout camp, but he seems 100% and ready to go. And then on the other side in the AFC, you have a lot of teams that are going to battle it out to see who comes out of that conference to represent in the Super Bowl. Could it be the Kansas City Chiefs, even without Tyreek Hill, and bringing in Juju Smith-Schuster? And having a guy like Sky Moore, who they drafted in the second round, to be a Tyreek 2.0. Are they going to be the team to beat? Will it be the Buffalo Bills, who will be front and center tonight, out at SoFi, with the AFC Championship game two years ago, and then last year, heartbreaking Kansas City, where the last two seasons ended at Arrowhead Stadium. Can they take their game up another notch to get themselves back to the Super Bowl for the first time in almost 30 years? The Cincinnati Bengals. Is this a team that's going to have some hangover? Based on their great postseason run last year, coming up short on that final drive where they could have tried to get a game-tying field goal, but we know that that wasn't the case as the Rams were your Super Bowl champs. You also look at a team like Baltimore with Lamar Jackson and his contract status hanging over his head, but with a team that the run game is going to be piecemeal together with J.K. Dobbins coming back from the ACL, Let's see what Rashad Bateman, former number one pick, if he's going to be able to elevate his game. And we look at Baltimore as possibly a team that could be a threat in the AFC. I haven't even mentioned the other teams in the AFC West, whether you're Denver with a new contract for one Russell Wilson and what the Broncos have their sights set on this coming season. The Los Angeles Chargers, another season with Justin Herbert, a defense that's remodeled with Khalil Mack. See if he could reclaim some of that magic in the AFC West as he did many years ago with the Oakland Raiders. Then you do have the Las Vegas Raiders. Devontae Adams in the mix to go along with his college quarterback and a one Derek Carr. What can we expect from them? To me, when we look at the entire landscape of the NFL, it's not as if we could say that this is going to be the up-and-coming team or the surprise team. There usually is one every year. And yes, we could certainly choose a certain squad that looks like they could be primed to maybe make the postseason, but maybe surprise people, similar to what Cincinnati did last year. But how I look at this upcoming season, to me, it's going to boil down to about seven or eight teams that can win a Super Bowl. And I get it. In every sport, you're not going to have, let's say, half of the sport win a World Series, or when we look at, let's say, for instance, the NBA. It's usually a handful of teams that are going to be in the running for a championship. Same for baseball. We know the big market teams are going to be the favorites, whether you're in L.A. with the Dodgers, New York, Mets or Yankees. Not this year for the Red Sox. Maybe the Phillies if they do have a run in them and they've played well. But the NFL, which is built on parity, which is built on competition, and how I look at this landscape for 2022, I see this being... Pretty much the same type of season that it will play out, maybe with some surprises. And I would think with some surprises. I can't say maybe because the NFL is always 
topsy-turvy, and that's why everybody loves the sport. Once a week, the gambling aspect, it's almost like a 17, 18-week soap opera, and then when you get to the postseason, that's when it culminates. And you can only say that about football as opposed to the other sports because in the NBA, usually the best team wins. Yes, baseball, you could get that Cinderella that comes out of nowhere, the Florida Marlins back in 2003, or you'll get that team that just miraculously pulled out a game from their rear end, the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals, as they did in that game six against Texas. Yeah, you do have examples, but the NFL, as we all know, is not as predictable as the other sports. You could throw in hockey a little bit because you could get the hot goalie and that team that takes it to a cup and surprise, next thing you know that the team that was maybe a fifth seed in the conference goes on to win Lord Stanley. To me, when we look at it from the 30,000-foot view, it's either going to be Green Bay, Tampa Bay, the Rams, Buffalo, Kansas City. I'll even throw in Baltimore. I don't believe in the Chargers. The Broncos can make a run, but I don't know about them. The Bengals, I think there's going to be a little bit of a hangover there. They're going to be more the hunted than the huntee. And we could also look at a team like Indianapolis, Matt Ryan. Also the Titans, if you believe in them, and I don't. So not that I'm trying to burst your bubble, people, but there's only a handful of teams, I think, that can win a Super Bowl. Now we'll have to wait and see how the season plays out. You may get a team that gets off to a hot start. You may get a team that looks like they're going to be a threat when it comes to whatever facet of their game, whether they have a high-octane offense or a lockdown defense, which they may not be amongst the elite as of right this second, but that's why we watch the games. That's why we follow the season. And let's get right to it. Because other than that, I'm not going to break down, oh, how is Russell Wilson going to do in Denver? Or, oh, is Aaron Rodgers going to finally get over the hump? To me... I'm sure you could get that elsewhere. And I'm not going to go down that road to break that down for the zillion time that I'm sure you've heard ad nauseum pretty much from the start of training camp till now. So let's go through these divisions real quick. I'll start with the AFC East and go all the way down to the NFC West. This is Buffalo's division to lose. I'd be shocked if they're not at least 12-5. and five. You would think 13-4. and four. Now, of course, I haven't looked at their schedule from top to bottom, but we know the division. They should handle the Jets. Miami, yes, they could be tricky, and I understand that that could be a storyline too with Tua and all the weapons that they've procured in the offseason, but a lot of people aren't expecting Miami to be that team that could go to an AFC championship or even a Super Bowl. New England, let's see what's going to happen with Mac Jones year two. I know that this could be a scenario where Jones should improve. You should see a little bit of a trajectory trending north with him but with that bad loss that they suffered in the playoffs last year not to say that that's going to carry over by any stretch but Mac Jones to me the jury is still out on whether or not he's going to carry this team not only just five or ten years down the road but just this year and into next so this is going to be an interesting time not to say that he's going to fail not to say he's going to fall flat on his face but to me Mac Jones is not a guy that I think oh he's going to be there for a decade plus and be similar to or anything close to what Tom Brady's going to do, huh? the Patriot fan would do cartwheels for that. So to me, I think this is Buffalo's division. I think New England can have a good year. The Jets, without Zach Wilson for these first four games with Joe Flacco, that's not the news that they wanted to hear. So that looks like that's going to be some tough sledding for a Jet team that is hoping to get to eight wins. And then the Dolphins, they're a wild card here because if Tua does click, and if things start to happen in Miami to where they get off to a good start, and remember, they started off 1-7 last year, and they came roaring all the way back to 500. Granted, they beat terrible teams along the way, but Miami could be that surprise team. And I understand a lot of people could say, Jay Reels, but look at all the weapons that they have, new coach, you think Tua is going to maybe take a little bit of a leap? We don't know that. Everybody's been killing Tua, saying that this could be his last year in Miami. And of course... With a new coach there, and maybe with some influence there in the front office, who knows? A lot of reports may have it that you could possibly see, if everything just falls apart, Lamar Jackson may go back home to South Florida 
and be on the center for the Dolphins at some point in the future. Stranger things have happened. So you would think the Bills should be in good shape to win this division and obviously go deep into a postseason, maybe to a Super Bowl. As for the AFC North, it's going to be competitive to say the least, only because of Cincinnati and Baltimore. I think Cleveland, with the scenario regarding Deshaun Watson, him not coming back to week 12, or I guess week 13, game 12, and of course that game being in Houston, his first game back, which I don't have a problem with. Hey, let him go right into the lines then and have to deal with it. So I'm not one to be, oh, geez, that's not fair. This was fixed. Who cares? He's got to deal with it. End of story. But I think the Browns, are they going to have a long year? Jacoby Brissett is not the answer. He isn't a guy that's going to bring any type of long-term success. Yeah, he may be able to make a few plays and pull out a couple of games, but after those 11 games, can you see them over 500, even at 6-5? and five? Unless their defense plays lights out and Miles Garrett is LT, then maybe. As far as the Steelers, and usually I save them for last, but to me, and I'll preview this real quick as a diehard Steeler fan, it's all going to be predicated on their defense. And as we know, their run defense was atrocious last year, was last in the league, it was unsteeler-like, and if they can't shore that up, it's going to be a long season to say the least. If their run defense is respectable and their pass defense as well as their pass rush, as we expect, should be great, led by T.J. Watt, Defensive Player of the Year. Besides that, I'm not expecting much from this offense. Mitch Trubisky, nice kid. I believe he has ability, but who knows how long it's going to be before the Steelers season starts to fall apart and then Kenny Pickett, your first-round draft pick, is going to be ushered in. And their schedule is not easy off the bat. At Cincinnati, New England, and then they go to Cleveland on a Thursday night, so a quick turnaround, and then the Jets, all right, not too bad. But when you think about it, three games over the span of about, what, 13 days is certainly a tricky start to your season, especially when you don't have Ben Roethlisberger there for the first time in almost two decades. And an offensive line, which is still Swiss cheese and trying to gel and mesh with one another, And they do have skill position players. Deontay Johnson, Najee Harris in your backfield, Chase Claypool, the kid Pratt Fryer moved to tight end. So it's not as if they're bereft of offensive talent. But their line is a ginormous question mark. So the Steelers, can they get to 9-8 and to continue this streak for Mike Tomlin of not having a losing season as coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers? That's going to be a big if. 9-8, and eight, I think, is going to be best. At worst, probably 7-10. and 10. But I would think between Baltimore, which you think they're going to be fired up this year, I understand the running game is not going to be as stout as it was a few years back, but you know it's going to be predicated on what Lamar Jackson does with his legs more than his arm. Because we all know the run game is going to open up the passing game. And let's see what they're going to do as far as their offensive strategy as they start to get a little bit of cohesion considering that Jackson was out the latter part of last year and they had a ton of injuries across the board. So we'll see what happens there. But I think Baltimore could have a big year. And the Bengals, you don't know what you're going to get from them. Yes, they're poised. Yes, they got Joe Cool 2.0 in a one Joe Burrow. And... You would think that they're going to have a successful season, but like I mentioned earlier, they're going to be the hunted now. And they're going to have a first-place schedule. And yes, although they were 10-7 and and they had their moments last year where they stubbed their toe, in particular against the Jets, that one time, and off the top of my head, there was another game that they bottomed out. But they did make their run, and yes, they earned it in more ways than one by beating Tennessee and Kansas City on the road despite Patrick Mahomes having an awful second half of that game, but give credit to the Bengals. But now they're going to be a team that is on everybody's radar. They're not sneaking up on anybody. I think they could have a similar season to last year, 10-7, and but does that mean they're going to be on the expressway to the Super Bowl? I don't think so. In the AFC South, you would think it's going to be Indianapolis and Tennessee. Indianapolis brings in Matt Ryan. Carson Wentz goes to Washington. And with the defense banking on them to turn the ball over, get pressure on the quarterback, and Matt Ryan, for him to not make many mistakes, 
He's, what, 35 years of age, so it's not as if he's going to be mobile back there. He's going to try to get the ball to his weapons. And, of course, they have Jonathan Taylor as the big-time safety blanket to eat the clock. The Colts could have a big year. How big? In that division, they could probably win 11 games. Tennessee, they're going to have to wipe off the stench of what took place last year in that divisional round against Cincinnati. Because they had a big year. They had the number one seed. I understand they had a hobbled Derrick Henry at the very end. But you would think that if they're healthy, they could be a threat in the AFC. But that's a huge if. And the quarterback, you don't trust to save your life. No offense to Ryan Tannehill. Nice kid. Has been solid in his career, but certainly not a guy that's going to take you to a Super Bowl and over the top. As far as Jacksonville and Houston... You'd only hope more progress from the quarterback and the one Trevor Lawrence down in Jacksonville under new coach Doug Peterson. Maybe they could surprise some people. That remains to be seen. But at the present moment, Jacksonville is still going to go through some growing pains as they try to gain some sort of respectability in the league. And as far as the Texans, their number's four and a half, the lowest in the sport with the Falcons. It's there for a reason, and it's going to be a long year. But I will say... I'm sure their calendars are circled for the first Sunday in December when Cleveland comes to town. That's pretty much going to be their Super Bowl. So think about that when you get deep into this NFL season that even if the Texans are at that point 1-10 or even 0-11, that's going to be the game they're going to rally the troops and see if they can come out on top. And then there's the best division in football, the AFC West. You have three teams that are at 10.5 as far as your over-under numbers are concerned, and that would be, of course, the Chiefs, Broncos, Chargers. The Raiders are at 8.5. The Chiefs have to bounce back from that loss, and they're due to have a bad game. Unfortunately, it was at a bad time, an AFC Championship game at home, which they would have gone back to a third straight Super Bowl. But I think they're going to be raring to go. They're going to be primed for another Super Bowl run led by Patrick Mahomes. And as I talked about earlier, with an offense without Tyreek Hill, but with a couple of other players that have been installed in that offense, you would think that they're not going to miss a beat this coming season. The defense, yes, could be spotty at times. We all know all the money's gone to that offense, skilled players, offensive line, etc. But you would think behind the arm of number 15, that's just good enough to be in the conversation every year to be a representative in the Super Bowl. As for the Broncos, with Russell Wilson there, changing the culture there in Denver, the quarterback is what they were missing with Jerry Judy, and you look at how the Broncos and their defense complement one another with the offensive, I'm not going to say firepower, but just having the quarterback there increases your chance exponentially as opposed to the Drew Locks of the world. So now when you're Wilson and you have a lot of pressure here because you have to deliver. You just signed an extension, what was it? Five years, $245 million to go on top of the two years that you currently are on. So that's seven for what, 295 or whatever it is. So making the playoffs, yes, it's great. AFC Championship game, fantastic. It's about winning Super Bowls. And that's what they brought Russell Wilson there. Does he and his team have an opportunity to do so? Yeah, I could see them being in a running. But again, the AFC is loaded with other teams, not only just throughout the conference, but in their own division. Which leads to the Chargers. And I get it that the Chargers have been this team that have been snake bit over the years going way back to even Dan Fouts, to Phillip Rivers, now to Justin Herbert. And all you got to do is look at that last game of the season a year ago, Sunday night, where Brandon Staley fouled up by calling a timeout, which gave the Raiders an extra play on a third and 10, draw a play, run it for a first down, they line up for a field goal, win the game. Not only does that put the Raiders into the postseason, but it also put the Steelers into the playoffs to where if Staley did not call a timeout, ran the clock there, both the Chargers and Raiders would have made it to the playoffs. So even though a lot of it may be self-inflicted, but Staley is going to have to show and prove to me, and I get it, he is a riverboat gambler. He's the type of coach where he goes for it on fourth down a thousand times, and they probably led the league 
in going for it on fourth down. And as you saw in that game against the Raiders, they went for it on fourth down a lot and converted on a lot of those fourth down plays. But obviously, if you're going to live by that, you're also going to die by that. So Staley, this is a big year for him. I understand it's only year two, but with all the expectations and especially what the Rams did a year ago, I think they're going to have a good year. Herbert, you figure, will take another step up in class as far as being one of the top quarterbacks in the league, but they got to go out there and prove it. And as for the Raiders, talk about a team that snake bit. They've only been in the postseason, but a handful of times since they made it to the Super Bowl back in what, 2002? And last year, we saw what happened in Cincinnati in those final moments with Derek Carr. You would think the Raiders, with everything that they had to push aside last year, John Gruden, Henry Ruggs, cutting players, Rich Basaccia being the interim and did a good job. And now he's in Green Bay working the special teams. Let's see if Josh McDaniels could come in there and erase what took place in Denver about a decade and a half ago and be that guy to lead this team not only to the playoffs, but maybe with his experience in New England, an opportunity for them to make a deep postseason run in January. I just think that division's so loaded that even with them probably being 9-8 and eight or 10-7, and seven, they could possibly end up being fourth in that division. As for the NFC, it's probably going to be Cowboys-Eagles with all of the offseason signings, the A.J. Browns of the world to go along with Devontae Smith, the draft picks, everything that they're trying to do to have Jalen Hurts, and they're pretty much the Miami Dolphins of the NFC because they have a quarterback. Ironically, Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa, they were both teammates at Alabama. But two guys that have a lot of naysayers, a lot of doubters, and they're going to try to prove them wrong based on what their organizations did this offseason to try to get them to a Super Bowl. Can Hurts do it similar to Tua? At this very moment, I don't think so. And it's not a knock on them. And I was big up in Jalen Hurts after the draft last year as being a guy that could maybe be a sneaky, almost sleeper pick, if you will. But there's a lot of expectations in Philadelphia as it is every year. And I expect them to do well, but how well? It all depends on their quarterback. But we know the quarterback in Dallas is going to be in tow and a lot of hope and expectations to say the least, for Jerry Jones and company. Dallas, you would think they'll be the team to beat in that division because who knows what you're going to get from the Giants and the Commanders, but the Dak Prescott-led Cowboys, I would think that they're going to be in the running between them and Philadelphia. I would pick them to win the division, maybe not by much, maybe 11-6 at best. I believe that's what their record was last year. But the mistakes... The mental mistakes, the sloppiness, and as we all know, this is it for Coach Mike McCarthy. If he doesn't get his team, I would think, to a Super Bowl, maybe an NFC Championship. That's only because Jerry Jones and his loyalty, and he's not George Steinbrenner, to say the least, where he's going to fire coaches left and right. But this is one that I'm sure not only just a Cowboy fan, but everybody in the NFL is paying attention to because we know who's looming over the shoulder of McCarthy, and that's one Sean Payton for next year. So it's boom or bust for this Cowboy team, and they're going to have to clean up their play exponentially if they're planning to be an NFC representative for the Super Bowl. Because if they continue to draw offsides and bad holding penalties and false starts, it's going to be the same movie you saw last year, this year, and probably with the same result. The Giants have a lot to prove with Daniel Jones, so this is a do-or-die year for him. And who knows what to expect from Washington as far as Carson Wentz, their organization. And they have some talent there offensively as well as on the defensive side. We know Chase Young is going to be out and on the pup list, I believe maybe for six games, coming off of that ACL injury. But I don't expect much from either of those two teams. But as we all know, it's the NFC least Would you be surprised as you get to Thanksgiving that there's a two-game difference between these teams where Dallas is, let's say, I don't know, 
six and five and the commanders are four and seven, I wouldn't be shocked. The NFC North, it's Green Bay and everybody else. The Vikings, can they make a leap under a new coach? I don't expect much from the Bears. I don't expect much from the Lions, although I could see them taking a step up because Dan Campbell, he's that guy where you go through a brick wall for him. But of course, that message only goes but so far if the players aren't going to produce. The Bears, I think, are going to have a long year under Justin Fields. No offense, I think he has talent and ability, but he doesn't have much to work with. And to me, the Packers, they're going to be far gone in that division. I could see him right after Thanksgiving just putting their feet up as they're going to clinch the NFC North. And you have an interesting first game with Minnesota hosting Green Bay to start off your year. So let's see if Minnesota could stake their claim with a statement game. I understand it's week one and there's still 16 more weeks to go after that or 17 weeks, but you get where I'm coming from. The NFC South, similar to the NFC North. It's Tampa and everybody else. Although there's this love affair with the Saints, which I find very surprising because Jameis Winston and all the reports is that he's healthy and he has the offense on the wraps and we know he has ability. But for whatever the reason, a lot of people that I've seen, even Chris Sims, the former Tampa Bay quarterback, has them going to the NFC Championship game. And I believe the same for Peter King, the famed writer for Football Morning in America. I don't see it. I need to watch how this is all going to unfold for me to think that they could be a team to be a threat in the NFC. But Tampa, we know they have their issues. Their offensive line is all nicked up. Tom Brady, 45 years old. And especially the offensive line, not necessarily with the tackles, but in the middle. And if you're going to get to Tom Brady, forget about coming off the edge. you got to come straight in his face. And that could be an issue for Tampa early on. we got to see how that offensive line gels and if they're going to be able to perform the way they have over the last two years. But to me, I still think Tampa, and they have a tricky schedule too. Not easy to say the least, but because the division's so bad, I don't expect much from Atlanta. Obviously with Marcus Mariota, they're going to have some growing pains down there as they find their franchise quarterback. And then... Carolina, even with Baker Mayfield, and I know he's going to be gung-ho for week one against his old team, but Matt Rule, you hear a lot of rumblings about this could be a year where he's going to have to show and prove or else he's going to be out in the street. So Carolina, they could be competitive, but that's only going to last for maybe a month or so. To me, this is Tampa's division to win. Yes, could New Orleans be a threat? I guess, but I have to see it to believe it. And then to round out the NFC West... Of course, a lot of the talk's going to be about the Rams. Speaking of hangover, are there going to be a team that, because of everything that took place last year and knowing that they have the same type of expectations coming in, we know who's re-signed, Dyron Donalds, the extensions to Matthew Stafford. Bobby Wagner comes in to bring another presence, especially at the linebacker position. I think it's going to ask too much for this team to get back to the Super Bowl, and as we all know, it's very hard to repeat in this league. I think they're going to have a good year. I think they may even have a big year. But can they get back to the dance to defend their title? I think that's going to be a tough chore. The Niners, talk about expectations again, considering the crazy offseason that they had. More recently with the Jimmy Garoppolo, you could go ahead and seek a trade elsewhere, and that never came to fruition. And then all the eggs were put in the basket of Trey Lance, who had a very good preseason. But again, you can't bank on that for him to have a successful regular season. And with Garoppolo waiting in the wings and Lance probably feeling a little bit of pressure, yes, is it good to have Garoppolo as a backup there and a security blanket in case the Lance experiment, at least for this year, fails? 100%. But I think if Lance gets off to, I'm not going to say an atrocious start, but let's say he gets off to a 1-3 and three start. The fans are going to be ready to get the hook to pull Lance out of there and plug Garoppolo in. So that's one thing the Niner Brass, the coach Kyle Shanahan, I'm sure has that in the back of their minds because, yes, although it may be a good thing, but if Lance gets off to a slow start, they're going to have no choice 
And not based on just what the fans say or how they react, but they could talk about it to their blue in the face, how, oh, we're in a great position. This is a great thing to have, knowing the experience of Garoppolo and what he's done for this organization over the last few years, making it to a Super Bowl and an NFC Championship game last year. Nonsense. You just added another layer of controversy, potentially, for your team, who is a now team. They have the players to win now. This isn't a situation where you're Jacksonville where you still have a few years to grow. I get it, you have a young quarterback, but just because he may not be 100% ready or may not be primed for the big stage, you just put yourself in a quandary knowing that even with Garoppolo on the sideline, it could be an experiment that could blow up in their faces at least for this year. As for the Cardinals and Seahawks, the Cardinals have a lot to prove. I understand that the contracts were extended for both Cliff Kingsbury and the quarterback Kyler Murray and without DeAndre Hopkins for the first, I believe, six games due to him violating the league's PED policy. Who knows what you're going to get from Arizona this year? You may have flashes in the pan where they look like they could be a team that could, I'm not going to say be a force, but they could, I won't even go as far as saying a threat. But there'll be a team that from one week to the next, you don't know what you're going to get. You may have that game where, or games, where Kyler Murray is going to pull it out of his rear end and you think, oh, wow, look at Arizona. Oh, this is great. And then they'll play against a bad team, let's say Seattle, at home, and then they spit the bit. To me, they're a fringe playoff team at this point. And as far as the Seahawks, it is going to be a long year. Geno Smith is your quarterback. Now that the keys have been handed over to him, no more Russell Wilson. The Legion of Boom has been far removed from the fans' consciousness. So it is rebuild mode for the Seahawks as it's going to be a long year in the Pacific Northwest. Let me get to my over-under numbers for the year. I'm going to pick three overs, three unders, and these first two are going to be cake. Do I even need to get into it? I'm picking Green Bay and Kansas City. Green Bay is at 11.5 for everything that I explained earlier. Cake division, Aaron Rodgers, I'm sure, is going to be on a mission with all the talk of this offseason about him not making it to a Super Bowl. And I still wonder about him in a big game. And I mean a big game. I'm talking about playoffs, not Week 14, Week 17, on the road in Tampa. No, 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 no. I'm talking about postseason. And for Green Bay and what they've done in the regular season over the last few years on the Matt LaFleur, I could see that continuing. Why would it change all of a sudden, barring major injuries throughout the course of their roster? Packers are 10.5. I got to go over with them. Same for the Chiefs. I think they're going to be fired up knowing that the AFC Championship game left a bad taste in their mouths. They do have some new-look players on offense. You do have to wonder about the defense, although they'll probably show up at certain times. But again, you can't fully trust them. But we all know this team has offensive firepower throughout. And as long as Patrick Mahomes is making plays and not running for his life, as we saw in the Super Bowl two years ago, they're going to win 11 games in their sleep. And my other over I'm going to choose is going to be the Colts. It's nine and a half. We know the division is soft. Who knows what you're going to get from Tennessee. I'm sure they're going to be solid. They're going to play for Mike Vrabel, but they're a paper tiger. And not to say that the Colts are. This isn't the Tony Dungy, Peyton Manning-led Colts of the mid-2000s. But I would think that with Reich getting in Matt Ryan, veteran presence, Carson Wentz in that one-year experiment did not work. Ryan wants to show and prove that he could still play in this league even at the age of 35 years old. And with a very good defense behind him, knowing that it doesn't have to all be on the shoulders of Matt Ryan, I think that the Colts will probably go 10-7, and seven, maybe even 11-6, and six and win a division. So those are my three overs. My three unders, as much as I want to root for the Eagles, not that I'm an Eagle fan to say the least, but they're number 9.5, and, and I get it, the expectations and their firepower on offense, but the quarterback, I just don't know. 
Nine and a half is a little bit too high for me. And to think that if the Eagles, if everything goes right, they'll probably win 10 games. And that's if everything goes right. And a lot of it is based on the quarterback. Unless the defense is going to be circa 1992, a la Reggie White, Jerome Brown, Wes Hopkins, Seth Joyner, etc. But I think nine and a half is just a little bit too high. I could see this coming down to the final week of the season where the Eagles are at nine and seven and it could go either way. So I'm picking them as an under. I hate to pick on this team as an under, but the Texans at four and a half. Davis Mills, who knows? He may have some promise. He may be a guy that you could, at least for the immediate future, look to to maybe make some plays, but who's going to come through on offense and even on the defensive side of the ball, I couldn't even tell you. So they may win three games all year, and as I mentioned earlier, that game against the Browns is going to be their Super Bowl. So they're going to fall under four and a half for sure. And then I mentioned this on the podcast Monday, and I'll say it now, the Cleveland Browns at eight and a half, even with Jacoby Brissett, if everything goes well, if they're six and five at the 11-game mark before Deshaun Watson comes in, Obviously, they have a shot. But if they're anything less than that, to where Watson will have those final six games and with that bee's nest of a first game that he has to go ahead and face that crowd, I don't see it. The division's going to be competitive, even with the Steelers not being what the Steelers once were. Baltimore and Cleveland are going to be tough outs. And I just can't see them winning nine games this year. Unless Miles Garrett, again turns into LT this year and becomes not only your defensive player of the year, but in the running for NFL MVP. So those are my over-unders, people. Again, Green Bay, Kansas City, 10.5 over. Indianapolis, 9.5 over. Philadelphia, 9.5 under. Houston, 4.5 under. Cleveland, 8.5 under. My knockout pick for this week, and I'm only choosing this, not that I have faith in this team, and I also thought about them as an under, but I said, no, let me stay away because their defense has played in big games and they know how to win. But I'm going to pick San Francisco and Chicago as my knockout pick. And my Super Bowl pick, of course, yours truly wants to be different, but it's kind of hard. Just like I mentioned at the top, it's very top-heavy. I mean, please, are you going to see a Philly-Indianapolis Super Bowl? Or a Baltimore-Minnesota Super Bowl? I'm going to go back to yesteryear, Super Bowl one, and with Len Dawson just recently passing away, and obviously the trophy named after Vince Lombardi, it is going to be Green Bay, Kansas City, and I know it's boring, I hate to pick those two teams, I want to be different, please, my World Series prediction, if you recall, back in April, was White Sox and Brewers, Dodgers-Yankees, who cares, or astros Dodgers, or even Astros-Mets, Yankees-Mets. Yeah, those are the chalk easy picks. You want to be a little bit different. You want to be a little creative. With the NFL, at least for this year, I can't see it. So I'm picking Kansas City over Green Bay as my Super Bowl winner. And quickly with the schedule, we know about the game tonight, Buffalo the Rams. Your Sunday night game is Tampa Bay at Dallas. Shocker there. Your Monday night game is Russell Wilson going back to Seattle to play the Seahawks. And in between, a few good games on the docket. Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, that's going to be interesting because I think of this game as the game last year when Pittsburgh went to Buffalo. Remember, Buffalo just came off of an AFC Championship game performance, and I thought Pittsburgh had no chance in hell to win that game. And then what happened? Thankfully, they had a big special teams block punt for a touchdown, and the Steelers were able to do enough offensively to win 23-16 on the road. I could kind of see this game going in that route where – Cincinnati, the celebration is going to begin, defending conference champions, and then next thing you know, it's 13 up halfway through the third quarter, and the Steelers are playing loose, and the Bengals are a little tight, and it's anybody's game at that point. New England-Miami, we know about the history with the Patriots in Miami. I'm sure it's going to be 1,000 degrees, so let's see how that plays out. We talked about Baker Mayfield going up against his old team in Carolina against the Browns. Green Bay at Minnesota, that could be a statement game for the Vikings, as I mentioned. Vegas Raiders in L.A. to play the Chargers, that could be a shootout. So you have some good games on the docket. Are you going to be geeked up about Philadelphia, Detroit, 
Baltimore, the Jets, New Orleans, Atlanta. Absolutely not. So week one is here, and the NFL season has arrived. So everybody's going to be primed and ready to go. Yours truly will be there Sunday to see if his Steelers get off to a good start. And obviously we'll revisit and review everything come Monday's podcast as far as the opening weekend of the National Football League. And quickly with college, I'm only going to get into the schedule. Of course, I talked about the wild games over the weekend. But this week, you don't really have a lot to chew on. Alabama at Texas. Obviously, you look at those two schools and what that could possibly be. Yes, we could be enamored by both schools going up against one another. But you would think Alabama's going to storm into Texas and just annihilate them. So that's a game that, although maybe on the college football fans' radar, but you would think that Alabama will walk out of there with a 42-10 type win. You also have USC and their performance against Rice, which a lot of people went crazy about with Lincoln Riley and 66 points, but it was against Rice. And they had three pick sixes in the game. So they go up against Stanford, and not to say Stanford is a behemoth in the sport, but we'll see where USC lies as far as the college football landscape as we get further into the season. But besides that, you don't really have a lot of big matchups. In fact, that USC-Stanford game, I believe, is your 7 o'clock ABC game. Let me double-check that. Yes, and it is at Stanford, so who knows? Maybe it'll be thrilling or a little bit compelling to see what Stanford could do to upset USC. But other than that, you have nothing really to go crazy about. Let me get to the baseball because a couple of themes here. The Mets were able to get a sweep of the Pirates yesterday. Now, it helps to have both Chris Bassett and Jacob deGrom on the hill if you're a Mets fan. And they did their job. They only gave up one run in both games against the Pirates. They won 5-1 in Game 1, 10-0 in Game 2. The Braves won in Oakland again. That team never loses. So to think... The Mets have a half-game lead as of right now, and Max Scherzer on the IL for 15 days. It's just precautionary, and I get it. It's all about October. So, thankfully, we don't have any other big teams on the schedule other than the Brewers, I believe, not this coming weekend, the following weekend. And then we have the Braves, obviously, which could be Armageddon that first weekend of October. So the Mets, at least for today... Although they were in a flat foot tie yesterday morning, but now we can look at them being ahead. Day off today, they go to Miami. They do not have to face Sandy Alcantara, who's scheduled to pitch today against the Phillies. So at least that's one thing that they don't have to worry about going up against a buzzsaw of a pitcher and probably your NL Cy Young award winner this year. So they have that where I haven't checked out the pitching matchups for Braves, Mariners, but you would hope that Luis Castillo is on the hill for one of those three games and maybe they could take two out of three and give the Mets some breathing room. But if you're the Mets, just win series. Yes, it'd be nice to sweep. I get it. But no more embarrassments. You already got embarrassed the back end against the Nationals and losing in that first game to the Pirates the way they did 8-2 to two on Monday. But now, let's go ahead. All systems go as they could continue to be on top of the NL East. The other thing is... There was a big series this week between the Orioles and Blue Jays, and I didn't highlight that on Monday, so that's my bad. But the Blue Jays and Orioles, as of Monday, were going to face each other 10 times throughout the rest of this baseball schedule. And as it was, with these four games that just took place to where the Blue Jays took the first two games and then... The Orioles won the third game, but then yesterday, the Blue Jays ended up winning three out of four. They took two games in the wildcard race to where, as it stands now, the Baltimore Orioles could be on the fast track of being out to sea, as I like to say, in the American League wildcard chase. Because as it stands, they are at 72-65. and They're the only team that separates between them and the Toronto Blue Jays, but they're five in the loss and four and a half games back. Now, they still have two more series against them, which will help, but they have to get back to winning ways if they are even hoping or thinking that that could be part of this wildcard mix. 
because you have Tampa currently two games ahead in the loss over Seattle and Toronto for that second wild card. And then you have Seattle and Toronto separated by a half game where Seattle has one win more than the Blue Jays. But other than that, the Orioles right now are treading water. So let's see if they can bounce back here over the weekend, and I'll check to see who they play in a minute. And as far as the National League, real quick, the Phillies and Padres are both deadlocked, 75-61 and 61 for the Phillies, 76-62 and 62 for the Padres. The Brewers are now three in the loss with four games back, so they look to be, right now, taking in water. They're trying to plug in all the leaks that are filling into that brewership so we have to wait and see what's going to happen with the Brewers if they're going to be long for this wild card race as well. And the Orioles, I'll go back to them for a second before I get to the Yankees. They have the Red Sox at home starting tomorrow. So a big series there. And all these games are big. It doesn't matter who they play if the Orioles are still trying to fight to see if they can stay alive in this wild card race. As for the Yankees, like I said, Minnesota was the panacea, although the Rays have played well this week. And they've kept pace with the Yankees. But Aaron Judge, now with 55 home runs. You had Randy Levine, the president, saying that he's an all-time Yankee and that they're going to do whatever it takes to keep him here. Based on some of the things that I heard, that the Yankees have a number in mind. And if another team's going to pass that number, whatever it may be, that they may let him walk. Well, I will say this. If by any chance the Yankees let this man walk in the offseason, they will burn that place to the ground. Uh, That's it. This man has been not only just the MVP of the American League, he's probably the MVP of baseball because he is saving the Yankees' bacon at this present moment. And he's going to pass, you would think, not only just with the pace that he's on, but he's just been torrid the whole year. He's going to tie and surpass Roger Maris for the most home runs in Yankee history. And as I said before, not only just baseball, but the media, they're going to need to celebrate this. They have to. And I don't want to hear that, oh, Aaron Rodgers is upset at his wide receiver core after week two. Or, oh, now we got to look at Tom Brady as he got sacked five times in a week two game against, I don't even know who their week two opponent is. I don't want to hear that. If Judge gets 62 home runs, the debate could be, granted that Bonds, McGuire, Sosa have hit more in a regular season and Bonds has the single season home run record, but his judges home run record if he does surpass Maris is that going to be the true single season home run record it's a debate that a lot of people I'm sure will be fired up to talk about if he does happen to cross that threshold I want to get to the tennis last night you had an epic match Carlos Alcaraz who I picked to win this tournament and it's broken well for him But now let's see how much steam he has left because after last night's performance where it took five hours and 15 minutes, five sets, it ended at 2.50 in the morning against Yannick Sinner. That match will be remembered forever if he wins this tournament. And Alcaraz is 19. You would think he'll recover quickly. A lot of fluids. I'm sure he's going to eat well and he's going to sleep like a rock, which he's probably doing right as I record this. But with the way the U.S. Open has turned here, Nick Kyrgios out as he was smashing rackets all over the court like a madman, typical Kyrgios. So he was unable to piggyback what he did at Wimbledon to get to a U.S. Open final. So now he's got to pick up the pieces from his racket and go home and kind of put it all together to see what he could do for next year when the tennis season begins again. And I'm talking about the majors. I'm sure there are a few matches littered between now and the end of the year, but you know what I'm saying. And obviously with Nadal gone because of Francis Tiafo, and he's been a big story now. The one American who's gone deep into the U.S. Open for the first time since 2006. So that says a lot. But here's the thing. His next matchup is going to be against Alcaraz tomorrow. And I'm sure for the diehard tennis fan, and even for the casual or even diehard sports fan, they're going to pay attention to that. At least I know I would. Because as we all know, men's tennis especially when it comes to Americans, they are nowhere to be found. They have not gotten far. They have not gotten deep. And here it is. You have a guy that could go to a final. Now, it's going to be a big chore, and I'm sure he was grateful knowing that this match ended shy of 3 a.m. to where 
he hoped that he left everything out in the court and he has nothing left for his match there come tomorrow. But as we all know, 19 years of age, I'm sure he could taste being a part of a Grand Slam final victory. He still has two steps to go. But this is one that I know I'll pay attention to to see if Tiafo does take it to the next level or if Alcaraz is ready to have his shining moment as a 19-year-old winning his first ever Grand Slam. And on the women's side, you have Iga Swiatek. I know you had Coco Goff lose the other day, losing to Caroline Garcia. And I believe Swiatek is going up against Garcia now. You had Tom Janovic. She was ousted by Anne Jabour, who is your Wimbledon finalist. So let's see if there's going to be a collision course between Jabour and Iga Swiatek. And then you also have Arena Sabalenka, who's played very well in this tournament. So, you still have some interesting storylines here. I get it. The heavyweights are pretty much out. No Nadal, Medvedev, Kyrgios, Serena, Osaka. Understood. But, for those who are interested, you still have some intriguing tennis over the course of the next few days. And obviously on Monday, we'll recap it as by then, we'll have a champion on both the men's and women's side. And then finally, I just want to get to this, just to throw it out there because I mentioned this a week or so ago, but Pat Beverly in a press conference where Russell Westbrook throws a towel, first dime of the year, an assist, seems like all is well in Lakerland, especially between those two because they have had a contentious history going back to 2013 in that playoff game when Beverly was with the Rockets and Westbrook was with the Thunder. But as we know, between that time and now, who knows what the locker room was going to be like? Who knows if they were going to kiss and make up? And yes, you would think that they would have to live with one another knowing that they're on the same team, but how that was going to shape up, was there a big powwow involved? Was it just like a head nod, what's up, what's up? And it's like, yo, the pass is the pass, is it over? Did it go down that way? I get it. No matter how they mended fences, as long as they were able to do so, that's all that matters. But at the same time, you do have to take a peek as we are on the verge of training camp and into the regular season and if the Lakers don't get off to a good start and if the Lakers are floundering not going to say similar to last year because you think they'd be a little bit better but you can't say they're going to be that much better and egos and attitudes all that could get involved it still could be a combustible situation where right now the honeymoon phase is excellent in La La Land let me see come January, February and into March and April how this relationship, especially between those two players, are going to be at that time. That's just something to keep an eye on. And that'll do it, my good people. A busy podcast. Obviously, it was NFL-centric with the preview, but I had to squeeze in those other few things as well, and I'm glad you stuck through it. Again, I appreciate your participation, stopping by to listen to this little podcast host, especially amongst all the giants that are out there. So again, it is not taken for granted for you to give your boy a shout and to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review. Again, that will go a long way to increasing the visibility so everybody could get the word on who Jay Reels is and what the podcast is all about. If you want to send me a question, comment, criticism, praise, suggestion, you could do so by going to any of my social media accounts, the Jay Reels podcast on TikTok, J Reels or the J Reels podcast on Instagram, Twitter, J Reels one, just a number, Facebook, the J Reels podcast fan page, and the old fashioned way, the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And then lastly, as I always say, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com slash the J Reels podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it because it will go to this production website equipment, anything and everything that has to do with what I say into this microphone to your earbuds, headphones, or speakers, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. That's all I like to say, and I'm here to stay. Here I am babbling, rhyming, trying to be an MC over here, but all jokes aside, sports has been my life. I love talking about it. If this is your first time stopping by, I hope you keep on coming back, and if you just gotten your sea legs, listen to me. Thank you once again, because I love to dissect, analyze, critique, praise, 
with opinions and analysis on anything and everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy NFL Week 1 and everything that's happening in the world of sports. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.